1: At the end of the day, people buy the same. They buy from people that they know, recognize, and trust. And one of the best things that these top marketers are doing is they're creating content and they're putting out marketing campaigns out there that humanize the brand a little bit more. They're putting the employees at the front of the brand. They're showing faces. They're using copy that's like actually conversational, not just like really jargony words that nobody understands. And they also recognize that like marketing is a long-term game. Hey, what's up, Connor? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dan. I'm excited for this.
0: Um, I'm in a B2B space, but I'm always excited to learn more about e-commerce. I know you had some experience in the B2B space too, so we can talk about that as well. But I would love to start on how did you get into marketing and then how did you get into the e-commerce space?
1: So marketing was probably like back in college, basically. It started off, went to school up in Boston, Northeastern. And like cool part about that school is we could just jump around and work at a bunch of different companies while we we're still in college. And like literally all of my actual career experience that wasn't like doing my own stuff was always in the marketing space. So worked at a company called Drift uh, back in like 2016 ish or whatever. And I was doing sales there, and then I started jumping over into customer success. And then I had an old boss of mine, Dave Gerhardt, was like, Hey, like you should just come like work for me, whatever. And so I was like, Cool, marketing seems fun. Uh, so I jumped around there and I kind of like it a little bit more. I would say like that and sales are pretty much more of my forte. And then later on in college, too, I worked at another company called Lola. I got to work with like Mike Volpe, who like pretty much started HubSpot and whatnot and like learned a lot of marketing there when I was over there. So love the marketing worlds, like a lot of cool stuff and B2B versus D2C, like you can drop as many acronyms as you want and think you're marketing towards different people. But at the end of the day, what I like about it is like a lot of the principles hold true for both. And so you could be a really great marketer and sell fidget spinners. You can be a really great marketer and sell enterprise software. At the end of the day, a lot of it's just principles of like understanding your customer and actually like putting those principles to work. So that's that. While I was in college too, like kind of like on the side, I would moonlight this e-commerce project where we would go and sell like cell phone accessories. And that was a business I ran for four years or so. And it was always like a little bit of a side project. I got a chance to actually run it full time when I was in school because i did one of my co-ops for it and the nice part about that is like i was all on amazon it was all remote i got to like learn what it was like to go and manufacture a product how to go and create product listings how to like actually get product images too that were like compatible with amazon and like a lot of learning curves just like kind of slowly building up over those four years and we ended up selling that business just before graduating and we graduated from college and i'm saying we like my partner and i and we graduated from college and i was like I really don't know what I want to do right now. So I'm going to go back and work for Dave again. And at this point, Dave had left Drift and was over at a company called Privy, which basically does like all software and like pop-ups and emails and all that stuff for e-commerce companies. And I was like, this is perfect because I've got the chops already for a little bit of the marketing. I was in product marketing stuff over in B2B. And so I got the chops to go and do the actual job itself. But more importantly, I have to go and study like the biggest brands that are on that platform and like how they're making money and what they're doing successfully. So worked there for a couple months and then took all my learnings there and have been kind of applying it and trying to work in the e-commerce space ever since.
0: I love that. One question before we dig into the weeds of how you've been building these e-commerce companies, could you tell me what it's like to work for like world-class marketers like DG and Mike Volpe? DG is the man, I'm close with him, but I just, how
1: did that help
0: accelerate your marketing career?
1: It's a good question. Like, I'm trying to compare it to also working for some marketers that I have worked for in the past that weren't as good of marketers, and I think that might be the better way to compare it. Because like when you're working with those guys, like they get that like things like momentum and like constantly launching new campaigns and like having a lot more at bats and having the resources and having things organized, like it's just intuitive to them and second nature. Um, I think what was happening when I would work for marketers who didn't get marketing as much is they would try to make everything incredibly attributable and try to just like launch one campaign a quarter or like one campaign every like half of the year, whatever, right? And like the rest of the time, you're like, what else are you guys doing? Like, I guess like, you know, you're monitoring this form on the website that goes to these sales guys. But like a lot of the times they're like, I don't know what, like you should be pushing the envelope and like making a name for the brand and the space. Whereas I think what Dave and Mike really understood is like they understood how people buy they buy because people recognize the brand, not even necessarily because they're the best in the space. And that's why Dave has the playbook of every B2B SaaS business that he went to. He would start a podcast at Volpe had the playbook over like he took over Lola and he's like, we're going to go and run like an agile operations summit. And we're going to go and we're going to like be purple instead of being like this corporate, like black and white. Cause like we're humans and we're selling to other humans. That's kind of like the, what I was saying before about like the skill set of when you're taking it from B2B versus like direct to consumer in the e-commerce world. Like at the end of the day, you are selling to people like you and myself. I don't care if your position is product marketing or demand generation, or literally just like a mom at home with like three kids who needs to go and buy like a new baby formula, right? At the end of the day, people buy the same. They buy from people that they know, recognize, and trust. And one of the best things that these top marketers are doing is they're creating content and they're putting out marketing campaigns out there that, humanize the brand a little bit more versus being like, oh no, like, you know, we have to go and follow these specific corporate policies. Like, no, like they're putting the employees at the front of the brand. They're showing faces. They're using copy that's like actually conversational, not just like really jargony words and nobody understands. And they also recognize that like marketing is a long-term game. Like if you're in it to go and try to go and get this quarter's numbers up and try to attribute everything perfectly and have like this exact funnel, like people don't like your brand and and some brands get away with it because they have big enterprise contracts and a great sales department but like if you're working in a marketing firm and you're trying to go and like become a top marketer you've kind of got to recognize that like it is a long-term game that takes a lot of investment like these brands are not built overnight this trust is not built overnight um, and I think the top marketers typically get that a little bit more than like some of the not as great marketers I've worked for
0: I want to dig into. You have built some e-commerce companies and you're currently building e-commerce companies. If you were to start from the beginning today, how would you start executing and building an e-commerce company? Like from what you know today, from scratch.
1: People say this a lot and so it might sound somewhat verbose, but like it's absolutely the worst time to start an e-commerce company, like by far. Uh, Things are just harder than they used to be. That being said- if you're still into it and you're passionate about it, it can be done. It's the same thing as like, I also invest in real estate and own a couple of properties in Texas and like kind of like the South, like the Sunbelt area. And you'll have a bunch of people on real estate Twitter who will go and say like, oh man, like the market's so high, it's impossible to find a good deal. Like wrong, like good deals are out there. It just is a lot tougher than it used to be. So same thing kind of applies with e-commerce today. I'd say and this is the second time now I'm using this kind of inversion technique of like, rather than starting a good e-commerce company, like how do you, can you avoid starting a bad e-commerce company? And I'll tell you what a bad e-commerce company looks like today. A bad e-commerce company looks like a product that's selling for under $40. It's just not enough margin. Right now, like margin and landed costs are one of the, like the biggest criterias when it comes into e-commerce. And so what you'll often find is like, you're selling like a $39 product. Okay, like you better really hope. That people are buying a lot of them and buying them for the next like ten years because you you're gonna need to go and increase your LTV lifetime value uh, of any of those customers. And so what the best e-commerce companies look like is like you know that sixty to one hundred dollar price point enough to the point where like they've got good margins on it, but it's not breaking the bank uh, for anybody who wants to go and purchase off a of first impression. The second thing that they're able to go and do is try to drive. I kind of alluded to this earlier, but like really try to drive that LTV. So I've got friends who run e-commerce businesses today who absolutely crush it with a really high AOV product. AOV, by the way, for anyone listening, stands for average order value. And so I've got a buddy of mine who sells like $500 sauna blankets, basically. Like uh, It's called high, high res And he crushes it because he's got plenty of margin in there to play. He only needs somebody to go and purchase one time and they're profitable from first purchase, right? But if you're in that category of like the $40 products and you've got let's let's sit, be really generous and say you've got, you know, like a 70% margin on your landed cost. So like rough numbers on that is like, let's call it $25 profit. You now have to go be able to run Facebook ads, like work with influencers, pay SEO agencies, have these fixed costs all built in to acquiring each customer for under $25, which is very, very difficult. And now let's say that you do it. You're successful. You know, I'm selling Connor's uh, hair products, a $40 container and I'm able to acquire customers for you know $19 per package. Great. Now I make $6 every time I go and sell that product. I don't have a ton of room to reinvest into inventory. I need to go and maybe hire a director of marketing. It's going to cost me like, you know, 90 grand a year or something like that. Like your CapEx starts building up and it gets really, really difficult to scale. So I would say for anyone looking to go and start an e-commerce company today, like the absolute best way to do it, product 60 to $100 price point have LTV. So like, you know, maybe you're not profitable that first purchase. Ideally you are, but they're going to be coming back and purchase time and time again. And I've got a buddy, Andrew, who runs a company called Noon Brew, and they are profitable like slightly on that first purchase. But the best part is like they have a really sticky product. People love their product. And so they'll come back time and time again, and you don't have to go and pay to acquire that user a second time, which is really awesome. I think the last thing that I think a lot of people are realizing too, is like the actual weight of the product. Uh, so if you're selling a very heavy product these days and you're shipping it in from overseas, you are not having a fun time right now because shipping costs are going up, things are delayed at the port. And so like, I've got, I'm, I'm just rattling off my buddy's names now at this point, but the Chad Ross, he sells bracelets and it's one SKU, one type of, one type of product. Uh, and it's a lightweight product and so it ships in poly bags and it's super simple and he runs dorsal bracelets. And so he's able to go and build a really successful business that way because he doesn't have to rely on like a crazy amount of shipping costs and all of that to make the business successful. So that's really like what I would look at from a product side at at the bare bones. The other thing I would look at, because I know that this is a more marketing focused podcast, is you're going to want to go and find a way to get validation from customers and get feedback before ever really spending a ton of cash on ads. I think you'll hear that a lot of people will make the mistake of, great. You know, I'm selling Connor's mugs over here and I'm going to go and turn on Facebook ads from day one and oh shit, my acquisition cost is too high. Or like, I'm not converting as many people I would say I want to on my website. What you want to try to do is like start off a little bit smaller, like get some features and some uh, editorials. You're going to want to go and like maybe get some features in TikTok or work with some influencers and slowly build that brand up organically Because as you do that, you'll get a ton of customer feedback of like, oh, I bought it because of this reason, not because of that. Perfect, I'm going to put that in my marketing next time. Or like, oh, like, hey, this part of your website is broken. Thank God I didn't spend, you know, two grand running ads to that part of my website because they wouldn't have converted. And so it gives you kind of like a couple months to build up some good data points on like what customers want and how you can go increase your messaging and improve your messaging to go and sell a little bit better.
0: How do you think about creating that brand from the beginning and then the second question which will be the follow-up is more okay now you have brand how do you get that LTV make sure that people are coming back for multiple purchases like you said to increase that LTV
1: I wish I had like a very like straightforward answer to this but like the fact is creating a brand for your product is just like really freaking hard the best answer that i can give you is something that i think about a lot where i i know a lot of people will start spin up an e-commerce store because there's a very low barrier to entry they'll sell a couple products you know somebody had an issue okay well, no worries so well, you know we'll take care of that but their main intent with spinning up the e-commerce store is like build it into a business and sell it in two to three years the downside of that is it very often causes you to think short-term, right? Oh, mess up a customer's order. Ah, it's fine. Like, you know, it's not the end of the world. Like, oh, like we had some bad press about us. Oh, it's fine. It's not the end of the world, whatever, right? In my opinion, the best brands are the ones who kind of think in those like 10-year increments. And they say like, hey, if we're still running this brand in 10 years, do we still want this person talking poorly about our company and our products 10 years from now? Or are we going to make it right today? even if it's more expensive for us today and impacts our bottom line, right? And so what that'll mean is like, oh, you had a defective product? Hey, we'll refund that totally free. I'm so sorry about that. Like, and by the way, you know, here's a store credit. Like we'll ship you out your new items and here's a gift card to our store. A customer goes and says like, hey, I really want you to go and launch these products, right? You say, oh, okay, cool. Like, I appreciate that, that insight. You go leave a markdown on your Notion page or product request or whatever. You launch that product six months later, send a personal email, hey, just as a heads up, that product's now live on our store. Go ahead and do it right. And I think from our standards, and like I'm not even talking about as marketers; I'm talking about as consumers right now. The bar is low. Like people are have bad experiences with a lot of these brands because they realize that to them they're just a number. And like I don't know about you, but like I've had plenty of experiences going on, on like Wish.com and ordering pillows that I thought looked amazing, and then I see pillowcases show up in the mail. I'm like, oh, I just got ripped off. Uh, and I and I'm not the only one, in my opinion. who's gotten like. You know, orders a Theragun online, finds out the thing breaks after it's been used five times. Like, like there's a lot of times that people have been ripped off on the Internet. And I think the best brands are the ones that just kind of show up time and time again and try to make things right and do things better because they know that it'll impact them in the long run. The other thing that like Dave just kind of instilled in me a lot just from years of working with him is like you can't measure this stuff. Here's the way I think about this, too, because people have a really tough time thinking about this from a company standpoint getting involved in social media whether that's you know tweeting a lot from my own standpoint or whether that is like running my own podcast has probably the highest unattributable ROI over everything that I've ever done in the last 2 to 3 years right and i say that's like starting different companies selling companies uh buying real estate like like there's a lot of like fun stuff that i've done but when i really look back on it and i'm like how did i get to where i am today it's like oh right i met Daniel during that one time, right? Uh, Max and I were like riffing on some stuff back in the day and he actually gave me this idea and I ran with it and like it's turned into like millions of dollars in sales, right? I can pretty clearly say that for myself, that like creating content that I'm not trying to sell stuff, I'm just like sharing ideas in the wilderness and like hoping people listen and like find something and resonate with it and like think it's interesting and form connections out of that. Like that has been hands down one of the highest ROI things for me. And I know that personally, but I think that's a very, very difficult to attribute to an actual company or an actual brand, right? When you're running social media for a SaaS business that helps e-commerce stores with their shipping timelines or whatever like that, right? Like like you're like, how do I get more customers today? You know, we've got numbers to hit this month. And you have to start thinking very quantitatively within a certain timeline, because matter of the fact, like you got bills to pay, you got employees to go and keep happy and, and food on the table. And so you need those results today. But if you really want to go and build a brand for your business, You have to be willing to kind of sacrifice some of those wins in the short term as a way to actually go and play that long term game of just saying, hey, we're going to give you content. We're going to go and give products. We're going to go and like give valuable information that'll make your life better. And guess what? Three years passed, four years passed. Oh, now Glossier went from a YouTube channel to like actually selling makeup. Of course, I'm going to buy because I've been watching this girl's, you know, beauty instructions time and time again. So that's probably how I think about the brand side of it a little bit more. What I love
0: about that, and I think the problem just being in SaaS for a lot long time, is that if you see the tenure of marketers and CMOs, it's 18 months. Um, and when people are in a role for 18 months, and this happens multiple times, they come in their first year and the business goes up because they're doing a bunch of paid media. They don't care about brand. They're running a bunch. Of, they know how to pop the numbers. And then year two... The numbers aren't the same as they were in year one. And it happens with right now, it's happening right now with paid media costs going up and all this stuff. And then they realize, oh, we don't have, we haven't been building brand. So then they either get fired because they're not hitting numbers or they move on to the next time. The CMOs that actually think and have invested vested interest of being in a company for five years, that's where they you see like brands like start skyrocketing because they care about brand,
1: a thousand percent. And, and then, you know, like I'll be honest, man. Like I can go. This is this might sound cocky, but it's it'll it'll prove a point in a second. Like I can go make one hundred thousand dollars in the next thirty days by going to my e-commerce brands and I'll I'll send an email a day for the next thirty days. Okay, it'll drive sales. Like guaranteed, it'll it'll drive one hundred thousand dollars worth of sales. I know that I'm there for a fact. I'm not going to do that because my customers will hate me. I'll get banned from certain inboxes, but more than anything, they'll be like, who the hell keeps on sending me an email every single day? And guess what? Like, it'll work. I will get the sales in the short term and then, you know, I'll have a really good quarter and I'll have a really good month, but people will start to hate the brand and tell their friends, don't sign up for them. They're going to spam your email every single day or like, you know, Hey, I'm and I'm not going to think about y'all rather than thinking about y'all for like two to three times a month when you send the occasional email. Now I'm not going to think about you guys ever for the next five to 10 years. And now I'm not going to be able to bring you up in conversations and all of that stuff. So like, if you want to build a brand, you've got to go and play that long-term game and like think about not only like how to go and think as a marketer, but like, okay, if I was buying this stuff, like how would I want to go and buy it? How would I want to think about it? Like, then you know, like you run, you run a podcast. Like what other podcasts do you listen
0: to? Pretty much other marketing podcasts and all in podcasts. That's the only out there. So the, yeah.
1: So the all in podcast. All right. We think about that kind of stuff. And I don't know exactly what episode they're on. I know they've been running the show for at least two years now, but like, take a look at like Jason Calacanis. Like that guy has been podcasting for over 10 years, right? He has built up an like, like seemingly you know, Chamath's been, been running the SPAC game for the last three years or so. And like, you've got all these other guys who have like 10 year careers. People love that podcast because Calacanis has had to run a podcast from a decade plus of experience of doing the podcasting. And all these other guys have a proven track record of years. Like, you know, the ones that I'll listen to pretty consistently, it's like Tim Ferriss. He's been podcasting for 10 years. Joe Rogan, he's been podcasting for 10 years. Like all of these guys, it takes you a long time to build it. But once you have it, it's really special. The issue is, is that most people can't do anything for a year, let alone 10. But if you really commit yourself to like this long term vision, two things happen. One, you get something really special at the end. And two, a lot of like the actual stress in the short term kind of comes off a little bit because you're like, Hey, listen, like, I know not a ton of people are listening right now, but like just you wait, if I keep on putting out good content every week, every month for the next ten years, I become incredibly well known in this space. And you know, of course there's anomalies to so this kind of stuff where like people go viral overnight and then like they're able to have some success from from it. But like the most sustainable and like most loved brands very often take five to ten years. And I think that's very difficult, especially as a marketing millennial podcast, like to recognize like this shit takes a while. Like it's a long game. And if you're not willing to wait out this those first two to three years of like just kind of grinding in the dirt, uh, you're not gonna be able to go and like reap the reward that comes from the later years.
0: Going into two points you just made there. One, the social media game, because people don't realize until they get into it that it's such a feeling thing where you get people slowly coming to your DMs and saying they love your content. And then slowly people saying, I want to work with you. And slowly people wanting to sponsor you. And so until you're in it, it's hard to show people that. The second thing is, which I think is cool is like at the beginning of this podcast, you were talking about numbers for how to run a profitable e-commerce company. And you're talking about right now, brand, an attribution and you can't attribute that and you know both sides of the coin i feel like a lot of people who understand brand don't understand the number game and then the reverse like the number game don't understand the long-term brand i think the real power is when you understand the number game that you have to hit numbers and then you know the long-term
1: game is brand and from from my standpoint, like I know this is a marketing podcast, and I've had careers in marketing. Like, if I had it, like, slap a title on myself, I would put like entrepreneur way more over marketing. And so the big caveat here is the, like I have stuck in numbers, and I, like I enjoy seeing the quantitative side. You guys, any of my business partners, on a lot of this stuff, and they're like, Connor's not a number guy. Like, if my partner Nick is listen, listening to this right now, he's the dude in Google Analytics. He's the guy who's like combing over like the PL on the businesses. Now, I think from an entrepreneur standpoint, I I like to think I'm like somewhat of like jack of all trades, where I just I find think most things interesting and like going down enough of a rabbit hole to understand most of it. But like talk brand, Dave Gerhardt's running circles around me, right? You know, every day of the week, talk numbers, and like most of these like demand gen people who might be listening to this podcast are running circles around me every single day of the week. I like to think that like I know enough to like. Think about it the right way, but like, yeah, I'm not I'm not super in the weeds on most of it, but it's fun for me. But I think one thing that you have an advantage
0: of that to say like a single marketer doesn't have usually is you think about marketing as a whole business perspective, not just marketing in the silo of marketing doing this for the business instead of like how does it affect customer success, how does it affect the finance side of the business. How does it affect product? How does it affect logistics? Like you think about it as a a business person, not a marketer. Which a lot of marketers should reverse it and think of marketing like a business person, not as a marketer.
1: But like to that point, like I'll get, I'll give marketers credit. Like it's tough to to flip that switch and to think about it. Like hey, it's not just you know marketing versus sales or marketing versus product. We're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. Let's try to row in the same direction. I would say if I could like rather than just like complaining about like that standpoint if I can give like advice on where I think you can maybe pick this up without necessarily having to quit your day job and go and start your own business I would say do something slightly entrepreneurial it can be the smallest thing in the world and use your marketing chops to build it up I think it'll make you a significantly better marketer even if you if your only goal is to become like you know director of content or brand manager or product marketing whoever like still do this because it'll give you a much higher appreciation for all the other departments and make you more valuable in terms of how your function can go and impact. Like, you know, if I'm in product marketing, how can product marketing better impact demand gen, right? Let me go and actually start a business, whether that's a micro SaaS or like, like when I I say start a business, like, dude, even running a podcast, like on a weekly basis, maybe even a daily basis, if you're like me, you are probably checking your download numbers, right? You're checking your download numbers. You're trying to go and figure out, okay, like, where are my downloads coming from? How, like, how can I go and get more of that? How many unique listeners am I getting? And now you're starting to think a little bit more of, like, a demand gen element. Whereas, like, if you're just posting stuff on social all day long for your podcast, now you're starting to think more like the social media manager of your company. And so, like, it gives you more of an appreciation. And you can kind of do that, whether it's starting a podcast, like, even, like, to like, sell a course, like, One of my old managers, uh, Dan Murphy, started a course. And I want to shout him out if I can find it here real quick. I want to just say if I type in product marketing course, Dan Murphy, he sells it for like incredibly affordable. It's called the Product Launch Masterclass, literally only $99. And I know he personally got a ton of experience out of it. And like the dude has launched a hundred products, like probably like 30 of them at Drift, you know, he worked at, uh, on shape for a while. He worked over at, he's working at Privy now. Like he's really good at this. And I got to work like directly under him and go by that course, honestly. And like, like his experience running that course is like, now he's like, Oh shit, like kind of get my hands dirty again. Like starting a, like, like spinning up a landing page. And like, now I'm going and doing funnels and upsells in the back end. Like, Like you just start thinking more like a business owner, which will make you a better marketer overall. I love that advice. I think
0: I've got more appreciation, and I always say this, that you're a beginner at some sort of form of marketing, no matter what you do. I've been a marketing ops. I have so much respect for demand gen marketers. I have so much respect for customer mar- marketers. I have so much respect for product marketers because it's all different, and it takes years to refine that that craft. But starting a podcast, growing in social media has taught me things that I I would never have learned in my own job. And I think it's important to have two pillars of your like marketing chops. You have more pillars, but I think it's important to have more pillars just so you can understand what everybody's going through in marketing and have empathy of that too.
1: Completely agree. And I guess the baby step before, like let's say you're like listening to this, you're like, I'm not starting a podcast. I'm not starting a side hustle. These all sound like a lot of work. And and you like just purely want to get more exposure to stuff in your career without necessarily having to start something aside from a job. Um, just work for a startup, honestly, like, like sub hundred employee company and you'll be able to do it all. Like you like, Oh, I find writing email copy. Interesting. Cool. Like you'll get exposure to that. Um, that's probably the other way to do it. Like if you're working at like, like Dan, where do you work? Do, do you have a, like a main job? Fair bit. Fair bit. Oh shit. Okay. So you guys, you guys are what? Like 500,000 employees? No, we're probably approaching
0: 200 now.
1: Oh damn, I thought you guys were much bigger. Well, so okay, so so that's probably a perfect example. Like I'm guessing you have like you you just tell me because I'm gonna keep on guessing numbers otherwise. I would say like a marketing team of like ten or twelve. Yeah. It's a pretty small
0: marketing team. Um uh, there's not not many on the team.
1: So there's probably not much bureaucracy. Like you can you can jump around and, and probably try different things if you express that you want to. Like I would say, like, you know, a team of that or smaller, you're probably like anything bigger than that, I would guess. Things start getting a little bit more like, territorial. Yeah. I mean,
0: I worked at Service Titan and that was very territorial, where it was bigger, up bigger. And, but I've also been in the 100 person SaaS company, form person marketing, where we did everything.
1: Yeah. That's fun because you, you could cut your teeth there. You can like get your marketing shops up to speed. And then, like let's say you want to go deep, go for the bigger company, like go all in on this one section and become like that guy who's known for that. But if your real goal right now is to like understand marketing at a whole level, four-person team, yeah, get in there. Everyone's jumping in on daily stand-ups, and it's a fun time.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. The biggest learnings I've had is from the first startup I went to and then starting a side hustle because I got to do a bunch of things. The marketing was accelerated, and everything changes so fast, so you have to do things, and you have to wear many hats because there's nobody to fill that gap. There's no other resource to fill the gap. So you end up filling that gap.
1: Dude, that's that's so true. I think um the only other thing, and I'm just rambling now. So like so if you want to switch topics, let me know. But I was gonna say, like the other thing if people want to get better at marketing and don't wanna don't want to sort of side hustle, don't wanna sort of business, don't wanna sort of podcast, don't even wanna work at a small company, okay. Start building your own swipe file. And this is now like I think this is probably the lowest step you can now do to go out and appreciate marketing on other levels, is like Start creating a Google Drive or the Dropbox or whatever, like wherever you aggregate things and just start saving like ads you find interesting, emails you find interesting. Like, oh, I bought this product and there's this upsell. Let me screenshot that real quick and toss this into this folder. That's probably the next best step to like get good at marketing. It's like, it's really tough to think of ideas on your own on a consistent basis. Really easy to steal and swipe other people's ideas. Uh, So just start like slowly aggregating a little swipe file. And then next thing, next time you have to go and like pitch the board or probably, you know, probably not board, but like probably like your manager on like a product launch idea or whatever. Like you can be like, Hey, these three other companies had this really cool product launch video. Like, here's what I liked about it. Like one of the best ones that we stole from when we were launching a product over at Privy was like this Google, uh, Google's got really good product launch videos. Same with Notion and Basecamp and a few of those other guys. But we basically went and stole the whole like return of the Mac, like, like that whole, like video that came out of google and they were talking about like you know companies business hours post covid and we like stole that for something similar that we were launching over there and it crushed it did really really well so that's that's the last piece i would say is like if you want to get better at marketing and you're not finding the opportunities necessarily just in your company take them from other companies that are public
0: yeah and most of the time those companies have tested out the process for a long time so you're you're not going to reinvent the wheel. You just take the wheel and just innovate an existing wheel that has already been tested and tried and true, not sweating. I mean, it's good to have both, but I think if you need it at some time, then you don't want to go Be You can't be creative in that moment. It's, that's the best way to do it. Who were some marketers that you look up to today or none look up to that you would recommend people going to follow
1: one that i really like uh and these are all people that i just like follow on twitter or have had on the podcast in the past is sam thompson i think he's a really smart dude um he's really big on like the kind of, like, micro SaaS space and agency world i think he's quite good another one who's really good he runs his own agency for a lot of like d2c brands is zach stuck z-a-c-h stuck i think he's quite talented uh, Lauren Hall, she does like all the emails and stuff like that over at Privium content. Like, she's really good at that stuff, really, really good. And I also had, a, like, if you're looking for more of like the TikTok inspiration, I had somebody on my podcast recently. Uh, his name is Oliver. I'm trying to find his last name. I think his on Twitter is literally also just Oliver B. Um, <laughs> but he's he sells this stuff called Tab Chocolate. And he's more like in that CEO role, but he gets TikTok. Like, he understands like how to make these ads crush and like convert really well. And I think that's really good. Uh, and the last one that I'll drop here too, uh, again, also like the C-level stuff, but um, Sean Frank, he is the CEO of Ridge.com, R-I-D-G-E-E. Him, and I want to say his business partner on the whole thing is also named Connor, uh, but I think he spells it, uh, well, he spells it the same way, but his Twitter handle is like C-O-U-U-O-R, kind of like it looks like Connor with the ends upside down. And he's really, really good from the e-commerce marketing side too. So those are a few. There's a lot more. Like another one that like I really enjoy from an e-commerce marketing is like Ezra Firestone. He's like a big guy there. Uh one guy I love just because like he gets it from like the shock value is Billy Jean. Do you know this guy? No, oh,
0: Billy Jean, yeah. He's been around for years.
1: Oh, dude, but but he fucking gets it. Like he what he gets is he understands how to make an offer. Like I just saw on Instagram, I sent it to Dave uh yesterday because it's such a, such a good offer. He's like, yo, I retired last year. I'm 34 years old so for my thirty fourth birthday. I'm going to go and I'm going to give out free flash drives. Like who the fuck is using a flash drive? And he's like, I'm going to give out free flash drives. They're going to have everything that I've ever made from my swipe file to my courses to everything like that. And it's only going to be $34. You can go on my website as soon as my birthday is, it's 24 hours only, and you can buy it there. Right. And you're like, What's going on here? And so, of course, you have to start going through the whole thing. You're like, okay, I'll buy this. Like, like, everything he's ever made, like, over over the past 10 years, like, that's worth $34. And then he's like, oh, cool. Like, you just bought this. For an extra $20, do you want access to everything right now? Like, do you want, like, you know, the Dropbox with all these files that you'll be getting and having to wait to go get it from the flash drive? Anyway, like, like oh, yeah, but, like, I, I probably do want that, too. And he's like, cool. Like, and by the way, I'm coming out with this other course. And, like, that's going to be $59. Do you want that as well? So he's really good at like offers and funnels and like thinking through that stuff. The two most generic answers I can give you of like marketers who are also CEOs that everyone knows, but I just like and they they both get a lot of shit, but they're good at what they do. Frankly, just Gary V and Russell Brunson. Like like I said, they, I know people would hate on them. I'm not gonna pretend that they're not cringy sometimes, but they're good at what they do. And so if you like, if you can look beyond the personality, I think you'll learn a lot of stuff there too.
0: Yeah, I mean. Gary Vee and Russell Brunson was like who I looked at at the beginning of my mar- marketing career, like when I didn't know anybody. It was like, my CMO was like, look at Gary Vee, look at Russell Brunson. And he was also like the old school marketers, like Gary Halbert and Ogilvy and Sugarman and all these old school marketers. He's like, just go study the old school marketers and see how they did direct response. Oh.
1: Yeah, the direct response stuff works. That's like People don't do that anymore because, like, they think attention spans too low. But like, it works; it definitely does. What are
0: most marketers that you see doing wrong today when they go go to market? When they go to market, or anything like, do you see a marketing tactic that a lot of marketers are doing that you disagree with?
1: Oh, dude, they just—they just don't realize that they're selling to humans. I don't know who's, who your audience primarily is. Right. So I don't see this much in the e-commerce space. I see it a ton in the SaaS space of like corporate account posts. Hey guys, we just came out with this ebook, like read it. And you're like, dude, nobody's going to read your ebook. Like maybe seven people might, and then they're going to get harassed by a sales team for the next couple of weeks. I'm like, I understand the cultures inside these companies as to like, why they go and think that way. Because I think that like, oh, this is the easiest way to get leads over to the sales team. And like, we can track this and we can measure it. Like, nobody wants that stuff, for, like candidly. Like, like, they really just don't. From the e-commerce side, what do people get wrong? I'll be honest, the e-commerce side, the, the thing that people get wrong a little bit more is in all of, because e-commerce is a very ad-heavy world. Like, obviously there's a lot of like content stuff. You know, we talked about the Glossiers of the world and like the gym sharks, right? Like they're able to influence this stuff a little bit better than most. But what people get wrong very often on the paid media side is they don't understand what a hook is and they don't understand what an offer is. And I think if you can go and nail both of those, that's how you go and start making really good ads, right? So, like for anyone listening, it's just like, what the hell is a hook? What's an offer? Like hook, how can I get your attention in the first three seconds? Right? It's the it's the reason. Uh, Coinbase had the most successful Super Bowl commercial out there, right? They're like, everyone else is talking about like selling Budweiser on, on Clydesdale horses. Clydesdale, is that what they're called? Anyway, like the big, big horses and like F-150s. Coinbase is just like, nope, we're going to go and have real attention by having this floating QR code for the next like 20 minutes and offered it's like, hey, what's your offer? Hey, sign up for Coinbase and get an offer to like $100,000 and like free crypto or whatever their offer was. Same thing with like other e-commerce brands. It's like you want to watch really good e-commerce ads? Go to Facebook ad library and search up Dr. Sasquatch. Those guys crush it because it's basically like the oddly satisfying videos with like soap of like, you know, seeing like soap poured out really smooth or like block bars of soap being cut up in like perfect geometric figures. And then, like, they cut into, like, okay, what are they selling? Who cool, you got what they're selling. You're already engaged now. And now it's like, hey, by the way, you can go and get one bar of soap with every, like, $20 that you spend over on drsasquatch.com. Like, this offer is only for today. Go, go, go. Like, and it's it's marketing, but it works. Like, they have a hook. They got my attention. And now they give me a reason to go and take action. So I'd say that's probably more for, like, the e-commerce side, though. On the, on the B2B side, it's like, just stop being so goddamn boring.
0: I love it. The last thing I want to do is give you a chance to say where people could find you or anything you want to talk about. Give you a couple minutes to talk about that.
1: Cool. Two places. Twitter, number one, at C underscore G-R-O, C underscore grow. Uh, just like my first and last name, kind of. Um, and then uh, if anyone wants to hear me ramble about shit for you know, hours more, uh, I got my own podcast, too. It's called The Next Generation. Similar to this, but like a little bit more entrepreneurial, less marketing focused, I'd say. Um, and so like we just will bring on people who are starting businesses and like kind of get to know their story and like what their goals are and, and riff on random business ideas. It's a lot of fun.
0: Cool. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for joining. This was a lot of knowledge bomb. So I am I'm excited to put this out. Um, thank you.
1: Yeah. Likewise, Daniel. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: Thanks so much for listening.